You are listening to the Through the Bible Studio Series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the Old Testament book of Exodus. Here's Nate. Well, as we turn to Exodus chapter 35, we keep in mind that God has restored and refreshed his covenant with the people of Israel. He had spoken to Moses up on the mountaintop, but as Moses descended from the mountain, he discovered the people of Israel worshiping at the feet of a golden calf that Aaron, Moses' brother, had built for them. And of course, God judged the people. Moses cried out against the people, but then Moses prayed for the people, and God heard his cry And the covenant was restored. And so in chapter 35, verse 1, it tells us that Moses assembled all the congregation of the people of Israel and said to them, these are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. In that phrase from Moses there in verse 1 is a whole bunch of the grace of God. Now really what's going to follow in these next few chapters all the way to the close of the book of Exodus, it's a highly repetitive section. Previously, God had already told Moses up on Mount Sinai what to build in constructing the tabernacle for the worship of God, what the people needed to give in order for the temple to be constructed or the tabernacle to be constructed according to God's design. But I'm sure there would be a question in the heart of the people. Does God still want us to be worshipers of him? And so for Moses to gather the people together and say, these are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do, would be an intensely encouraging word. Now the first thing that God speaks to them of in verse 2 is in regards to the keeping of the Sabbath. He says six days, verse 2, work shall be done. But on the seventh day, you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall, verse 3, kindle no fire in all your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. Now, this is especially interesting because when God declared to Moses previously how the tabernacle should be constructed and the priestly garments and all of that, the final word that he delivered was the word concerning the Sabbath. Now here in the retelling of what they're to build and in the record of what they built, the first thing out of the mouth of God is regarding the keeping of the Sabbath. Here he mentions it first where previously he had mentioned it Last And of course, in one sense, you could say that it is mentioned first as an indication of its importance. The keeping of the Sabbath would be the covenantal sign that the people of Israel were in covenant with the God of Israel. They, of course, had circumcision for the males, but this would be a national sign across both genders for the people of Israel to rest before God, dedicate one day each week for the worship of God, and to have a solemn rest holy to the Lord, as God said it there in verse 2. But I think also there's the understanding that the people had demonstrated previously their tendency to disobey the Lord. 
And so to hold out the Sabbath first is sort of a guardrail against their disobedience. This is sort of the thing that if they had this happening in their lives, it would act as a buffer to keep them from other grosser sin. But if the Sabbath was real and present within their nation, they would more than likely be a godly, set-apart people unto the Lord. And of course, in our modern church era, there is no Sabbath rest except for what we find in Jesus Christ. So in one sense, someone might say, well, if you set aside a day unto the Lord for honoring him, that is a safe and good thing to do in our modern era. And I think that would be wisdom. The truth, however, would state that because Jesus is our Sabbath rest, the safety is found not so much in preserving a day, but in fighting for your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Sometimes we'll find a seasoned believer, someone who's been used mightily by the Lord, maybe for years, decades, and we'll see them fall into, I hate the term, fall into, they'll walk into some kind of disqualifying sin. And we'll wonder, how did that happen? Did it just suddenly attack them or come over them? Well, no. More than likely, what has occurred is privately and personally, they did not fight for and protect their relationship with Jesus Christ. There is great safety in cultivating that relationship with him. And so God reminds the people of Israel of that weekly Sabbath rest before him, the refusal to work, not even to light a fire, he says in verse 3, presumably for the cooking of food. They're supposed to rest completely on that day. Now in verse 4, Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, and bronze, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, and goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and stones for setting, for the ephod and for the breastpiece. So not only did Moses encourage the people to keep the Sabbath, he also encouraged them to give a contribution to the Lord only to those with a generous heart, which of course God was looking for. This was a test of their hearts to see where their devotion lie. But he gives them directions on all of these different metals and materials and skins and woods and oils and spices that they could give to the Lord. Let every, verse 10, skillful craftsmen among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded, the tabernacle, its tent and its covering, its hooks and its frames, its bars, its pillars and its bases, the ark with its poles, the mercy seat and the veil of the screen the table with its poles and all its utensils and the bread of the presence, the lampstand also for the light with its utensils and its lamps and the oil for the light and the altar of incense with its poles and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense 
and the screen for the door at the door of the tabernacle. The altar of burnt offering with its grating of bronze, its poles and all its utensils, the basin and its stand, the hangings of the court, its pillars and its bases, and the screen for the gate of the court, the pegs of the tabernacle and the pegs of the court and their cords, the finely worked garments for the ministering in the holy place, for the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments of his sons for their service as priests. So again here, a long recounting from Moses, just giving basically a bullet point list of different things that the craftsmen would gather together to build. Everything from the tabernacle all the way down to the clothing that Aaron and his sons would wear in the service of God and everything in between. The thing to note here, however, that's unique is that God calls every skilled craftsman, not just Bezalel and Aholiab as he'd done previously, but here you have everyone who has skills in building craftsmen to gather together and make everything that the Lord had commanded. Then verse 20, all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. And of course, the question that we would ask at this point is, what would the response of the people be? And it says in verse 21 that they came and everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments. And in this next section, we're going to see that the voluntary nature of these contributions is stressed by Moses. The people became willing. There was this thing that stirred inside of them. It says in verse 21, everyone whose heart stirred him, whose spirit moved him. There was this just excitement, I think, amongst the people to get behind this thing. And I think part of that excitement came from the outpouring of God's grace. They knew that they were a guilty people. This second chance that they'd received from the Lord was such grace, and I think it motivated them. It reminds us of what Paul said to Titus in his New Testament epistle, telling Titus that the grace of God has appeared which produces in us a zealous kind of nature. It's the grace of God that turns us into a zealous group of people for the Lord. And I would encourage anyone listening to a teaching like this who is involved in ministering to God's people, I would encourage you to be a dispenser of the beautiful grace of God is found in his word. It's the grace of God that will lead a man to repentance. It is the grace of God that will ultimately motivate a person unlike any other thing that a teacher, a preacher, a leader could stress. Now, I think there are other things as well that cause the people to have a stirred heart, the spirit moved inside of them. I think one other reason is that this was just simply Good leadership. Here is Moses making something clear, and the people are following his urging, following his leading. He is saying to them, give to the Lord, be generous. And they hear what Moses says, and they respond to Moses' leadership. 
But I think as well, there's another lesson beyond just good leadership and the clear proclamation of God's grace. I think as well, what we see here is a clarity of vision. Moses was able to clearly articulate what God had said the plan was for the building of the tabernacle. And I find that people often respond to clear vision. Sometimes a lack of volunteers or a lack of excitement about a particular ministry is indicative of a lack of vision at the upper level of that ministry. But sometimes when that clarity comes in and begins to permeate that church or that ministry, volunteers, laborers, finances come forth. So, verse 22, they came. Both men and women, all who were of a willing heart, brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. So you have here men and women coming together, everyone who was of a willing heart. And everyone, verse 23, who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarns or fine linen or goat's hair or tanned ram skins or goat skins brought them. Verse 24, everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it as the Lord's contribution. And everyone who possessed acacia wood of any use in the work brought it. Verse 25, and every skillful woman spun with her hands. And they all brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. All the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skill spun the goat's hair. And the leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastpiece, the spices and oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. All the men and women, the people of Israel whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. And so again, you have the varied groups of people, men and women, leadership, uh, owners of different kinds of materials, the metals, the linens, the oils, the spices, everyone, they're stirred together. And I think it speaks to us of the beauty of coming together, working on the common thing that God has asked us to work on and in. It behooves a good leader in the body of Christ to make sure that the people have an opportunity to use their gifts and give their gifts back to the body of Christ. Then Moses, verse 30, said to the people, See, the Lord is called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood for work in every skilled craft and he has inspired him to teach both him and Aholiab the son of Ahisamach of the tribe of Dan 
He has filled them with skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver or by a designer or by an embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen or by a weaver or by any sort of workman or skilled designer. So again, we have the repeating of the call of God upon a man named Bezalel and also a man named Aholiab, very similar to the section that we've already studied in chapter 31. And what we, of course, notice about Bezalel is that he was a man of character. His name actually means in the shadow of God. Anybody who's involved this intensely in the work of the Lord should be living in the shadow of God, should have a close relationship with the Lord. But not only was he a man of character, he was a man who was called. These men were both chosen for the work. And it is good to remember that God has called us and chosen us. He's distributed gifts to each one individually as he wills. He's called us to good works prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There's a calling upon our lives. But we have to trust as well the Spirit of God to strengthen us and enable us for the work. Bezalel was a man who was filled with the Spirit of God and was inspired to teach as well. He longed to teach others how to skillfully build for the Lord. Now, moving on into chapter 36, again, I remind you, this is a very repetitious section that is in front of us, and it, of course, reminds us of God's grace, but beyond that, it reminds us as well of the intentionality of God, especially when it came to the tabernacle and ultimately the temple. The process of creation of the universe took God a couple of chapters to communicate, but the building of the tabernacle took considerably more space within God's word. And we, of course, are reminded, as the writer to the Hebrews tells us, that the things we're seeing in the tabernacle were simply a model of the heavenly reality of the throne room of God himself. And so what we can surmise from this is that God is very interested in his throne room, not because he is an egomaniac. If any of us were that interested in our own throne room, then we would be operating as egomaniacs, but it's appropriate for God to speak often of his throne room because when he is at the center of our hearts, we do so well. And it's unfortunate to me that so many modern books about heaven, they just focus on the human experience rather than on God himself and who he is. He will be the glory of heaven for all of eternity. The more he's the center of our hearts and lives, the more joy we experience. So in chapter 36, verse 1, it continues with the story of Bezalel and Aholiab, and every craftsman, verse 1, in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary, Moses said they shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. And this reminds us very much of what God spoke to Noah back in the book of Genesis and how Noah built 
according to the command of the Lord. It's the best way to build. And Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him up to come to do the work. And they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work of the sanctuary. Listen to this. They still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came, each from the task that he was doing, and said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave the command, and the word was proclaimed throughout the camp, let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution of the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing, for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. So the extreme generosity at this moment of the people of Israel, uh, they had to actually be instructed to stop giving, stop, cease their generosity, because there was too much. There was more than enough now for these gifted workers to build the tabernacle. Now in verse 8, we begin to see again a recounting of what they built, beginning first with the curtains and the coverings for the tabernacle. It says, And all the craftsmen among the workmen made the tabernacle with ten curtains. They were made of fine twined linen and blue and purple and scarlet yarns with cherubim skillfully worked in them. The length of each curtain was 28 cubits and the breadth of each curtain was four cubits. All the curtains were the same size. Now we've previously studied the size of these curtains and how far they would go and how close they would come to the ground. Again, this is sort of the inner roof or layer of the tabernacle. You would not be able to see these curtains from the outside of the tabernacle, only from the inside, which is so curious because it's the inside that was most beautiful. You had the fine twined linen, the blue, the purple. Cherubim were weaved into the design. And so it speaks of, I mean, obviously only the priests would actually see some of these things. But it appears here that what we have is a case where the beauty was designed for God. God internally could see this beauty. It wasn't designed to appease man, but to be pleasing to the sight of God. And that's what true worship is all about. Pleasing, not in the sight of man, but pleasing God. He coupled, verse 10, five curtains to one another, and the other five curtains he coupled to one another. He made loops, verse 11, of blue on the edge of the outermost curtain of the first set. Likewise, he made them on the edge of the outermost curtain on the second set. He made 50 loops on the one curtain, and he made 50 loops on the edge of the curtain that was in the second set. The loops were opposite one another, and he made 50 clasps of gold and coupled the curtains one to the other with clasps so the tabernacle was single as a whole. So once again, we see that unity is important to the Lord. They're all, all of these ten curtains are connected together with these clasps. He also, verse 14, made curtains of goat's hair 
for a tent over the tabernacle. He made 11 curtains. The length of each curtain was 30 cubits, and the breadth of each curtain 4 cubits. The 11 curtains were the same size. He coupled 5 curtains by themselves and 6 curtains by themselves, and he made 50 loops on the edge of the outermost curtain of the one set and 50 loops on the edge of the other connecting curtain. So here, of course, you have the goat's hair covering of the tabernacle. Technically, what is under the goat's hair is the tabernacle. This is sort of a protective layer amongst other things that would be a protective layer. And of course, room there uh, for the door as well. And he made, verse 18, 50 clasps of bronze to couple the tent together that it might be a single whole. And he made for a, the tent a covering of tanned ram's skins and goat skins. So again, no dimensions are given for these coverings, but they're placed over the goat hair curtains and very familiar to the people of that era in covering a tent. Then he made the upright frame. So now we have the framework for the tabernacle of acacia wood. 10 cubits, verse 21, was the length of a frame and a cubit and a half the breadth of each frame. Each frame had two tenons for fitting together. He did this for all the frames of the tabernacle. The frames for the tabernacle he made thus. 20 frames for the south side and he made 40 bases of silver under the 20 frames. Two bases under one frame for its two tenons and two bases under the next frame for its two tenons. For the second side of the tabernacle on the north side, he made 20 frames and there 40 bases of silver, two bases under one frame and two bases under the next frame. For the rear of the tabernacle westward, he made six frames. He made two frames for corners on the tabernacle in the rear and they were separate beneath but joined at the top at the first ring. He made two of them this way for the two corners and there were eight frames with their bases of silver, 16 bases under every frame, two bases. So again, we have this framework or a trellis-like structure that would hold up the curtains there inside the tabernacle, sort of like a just a tent frame. And the bases were 40 silver bases. And of course, as I'd mentioned earlier in this study, this was described as atonement money. And so you have the foundation of their worship in one sense. The very basis of it is the redemption money for the people of Israel, just as we worship today based on the redemption that the blood of Christ purchased in buying us out of our sin. He made, verse 31, bars of acacia wood, five for the frames of the one side of the tabernacle and five bars for the frames of the other side of the tabernacle and five bars for the frames of the tabernacle at the rear westward. And he made the middle bar to run from end to end halfway up the frames and he overlaid the frames with gold and made their rings of gold for holders for the bars and overlaid the bars with gold. So this was no cheap structure, a very intricate woodwork and gold work put into the frame of the tabernacle. And in verse 35, we have the veils. 
He made the veil of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. With cherubim skillfully worked into it, he made it. And for it he made four pillars of acacia and overlaid them with gold. Their hooks were of gold, and he cast for them four bases of silver. Now this would, of course, be the veil that would be torn from top to bottom at the death of Christ, indicating that fellowship with God and man had been won by the blood of Jesus. Those who believe in him are able to have a friend, a advocate, a father in God. He also made, verse 37, a screen for the entrance of the tent of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen embroidered with needlework and its five pillars with their hooks. He overlaid their capitals and their fillets were of gold, but their five bases were of bronze. And so this is the screen that would actually be the entrance into the tent from the outside area. And so five pillars, five bases, a very beautiful structure that was being built there in the tabernacle, dedicating themselves to the worship of the Lord. God bless you and amen. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and teachings or to contact us, please visit us at nateholdridge.com.